In our text in Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, we would like to read together and read aloud. Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and changed the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we give you thanks and praise for the wondrous privilege that we have today of being able to read your word. And to study your word in this place. Father, we pray for David Simpson and his work in Scotland. We pray for his congregation and all those who have joined together with him to reach that country for your kingdom. We pray, Father, that you will strengthen him and grant him, Lord God, the opportunities. And... Grant him, Lord, the strength and the boldness, Lord, and all of his people to take your word and to place it once again in the hearts of those who realize that their nation was once a nation turned to you. We pray for our own nation as well. We pray, Father, that we ourselves will be lights in a dark place. And as we now desire, Lord, to understand your word more fully, may you anoint and bless us with your spirit. Grant us, O God, your wisdom, that we may live out, Lord God, your word as light in darkness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all may be seated. I suppose that most of us growing up were fascinated by things that would glow in the dark. That may not be such a fascinating thing in our day and age of computer technology and high-end graphics everywhere you turn. But as a child in the late 50s and early 60s, anything that uh, seemed out of the ordinary in the dark, well, that would captivate, and even at times mesmerized. Visiting relatives in Virginia one summer, I was introduced 
to the firefly. Or what the simple folk there call the lightning bug. How many of you have ever seen a lightning bug? We don't see them around here, but I love love looking at the lightning bug, the firefly. My cousins and I would run through the yard with mason jars to catch them and just be spellbound by their glow. What a wonderful creation of God. Around the same time, there would be a greater glow to experience. That of a 4th of July fireworks display right there in our nation's capital. It was an amazing sight. But it could only be effective with a backdrop of night. I don't know about you, but I'm not so impressed with a fireworks display during daylight hours. Because it doesn't cut it, you know. It can happen and you can kind of see something, but it just doesn't have the same impact, the same effect. Even the soft glow of a firefly is quite impressive in the darkness of the evening. There have been some great glow-in-the-dark moments in biblical history. A couple which involved the person of Moses, who, by the way, is mentioned in our text and will be a central character in Stephen's message to the Sanhedrin in chapter 7. The first moment took place when Moses was tending a flock for his father-in-law Jethro, out there by Horeb. When he saw a bush that was burning, and yet that bush was not being consumed. Now most of us, of course, would assume that this was at night. But Moses could see that glow and wonder about it and would go to it to investigate. and To find out that out of that very burning bush would come forth the voice of God to him. That was a glow-in-the-dark moment. But another moment took place after Moses met with God on Mount Sinai. After Moses had gone back to Egypt, after he had led the children of Israel out into the wilderness, away from Egypt and away from their captivity, and he brings them to this mountain, Mount Sinai. And we're told in Exodus 34:29. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. In other words, his face shined. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid. To come near him. What was that glow? That was the glory of God. This was the glory of God on Moses as he was exposed to the Lord on the mount of the law. Which he would retain for a time. Until it would gradually fade away. But this brings us to Stephen. Who we are told was looked upon by his angry enemies, and yet what they saw was the face 
of an angel. Now what this meant in the terms of the culture of that time and of Stephen's time was that he glowed as Moses did. Simply because he had been in the presence of God. He had the same glow. That that is exactly what that phrase, when it says that they saw a face of an angel, they saw the glow. Just as Moses had. Because he had been in the presence of God. Now the Scriptures tell us that whenever Moses spoke to the Jews about God, he would put a veil over his face to hide the fact that the glory was fading away. Turn to 2 Corinthians, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul refers to this. And in verse 11 he says, For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. And then he says, unlike Moses, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. This spiritual illustration given here by Paul is to show that the law Moses received was glorious, but would eventually fade away. It was a glorious thing, but it would fade away. He says, for what is passing away was glorious, but what remains is much more glorious. In fact, no one could keep the law. That's what they learned. That's what we have learned. No one can keep the law. For it only revealed how far short we fall from pleasing the Lord. The law would one day be replaced by something that would not fade away. Something that would not fade away. That something was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Consider that Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit, as we learned last time. He, along with his other companions who were chosen to be the deacons, the servants, the server of tables, we were told that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But here is Stephen full of the Holy Spirit because he was glowing from the inside out and that glow was not fading away. That glow does not fade away. His glowing testimony was proof that the glory of the law had been replaced by the indwelling Spirit of God. And so let me ask you this question this morning. Should we glow as well? Should we glow as well? Very much so. We should glow. If you're still there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, notice the next verse. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
But we all, notice this, but we all with unveiled face. There's no need to cover. With unveiled face beholding as in a mirror, what? The glory of the Lord. The same glow. We who behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. From glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Is it any wonder that Jesus called us to be the light of the world? Is it any wonder that He called us to be the light of the world, to give off the glow of His presence in us in the midst of this dark and evil age? Is it any wonder that we are to glow? And and what is necessary then for us to glow in this dark world? What is necessary to glow in the dark? Well, in verse 8, adding to the thought of what we have learned so far about Stephen and the others, we're told that Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. What is necessary to glow? He was full of the Holy Spirit, as we learned last time, along with with, with the, the other six chosen to serve tables. And by the way, they were full of the Holy Spirit to serve tables. But nonetheless, they were full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He was a man of good reputation and good witness. And he was one that was full of faith. Now that point of being full of faith is reiterated in verse 8. But along with that, Luke mentions that he was full of power as well. So we are told that Stephen did great wonders and signs among the people. And the fact that the seven deacons, those seven men that we spoke of last time, were chosen to carry out a rather routine service did not limit their ministry to serving tables. They were full of the power of the Holy Spirit. They were full of wisdom. They were full of of, of a good testimony. You see, any time you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're given a fullness. You're given everything that you need from God. And so it isn't just a matter of, well, I'm just, this is what all I do. This is this little space, you know, I'm just limited to doing that. No. You see, up to this point, the sign gifts seemed to be exercised solely by the apostles. But the wonders and signs were no longer being confined to them. We are told that Stephen did great wonders and signs among the people. You see, this, this, this very much contradicts what a lot of people say about the gifts of the Spirit today and about you know, you know, how we're confining them to not only the apostles, but actually to the time of the apostles. Very conservative biblical scholars have always sought to confine signs and wonders not only to the apostles, but to the first century as well. Oh, we don't hear too much about it. Well, I don't know, but in the 20th century, I've seen signs and wonders. I've seen God do great things in our midst. In very simple ways, I have seen where God has called us to pray for someone and immediately they're healed. Is that not something that God is doing? It is something that God has done. Too often in our day and time, we're putting the attention on people and not upon God. We're just the vessels. We're just the servers of tables, but God can use us too. The important thing here to note is that the Holy Spirit was working through Stephen. 
The Holy Spirit was working through Stephen. The supernatural power of the Spirit was doing the work. The supernatural power of the Holy Spirit was doing the work. Stephen was the vessel God was using. Just as he was using the apostles to do the very same thing. It wasn't by Stephen's might or powers, it was by the Holy Spirit. This is what we learn in Zechariah 4 verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That is always the way it is. It isn't anything special about anyone. It is always the work of the Holy Spirit. Stephen glowed because he was full of faith and power. And by the way, some of your translations may say grace there for for faith. Either way, we don't separate faith from grace, do we? Even in our own salvation, for the Bible teaches us that we are saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we're not even saved by anything that we do, it's all God. Full of faith and power. So Stephen glowed because he was full of trust. He trusted the Lord with all of his heart and never leaning on his own understanding. What a grand description. Where did that come from? How about Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is what we see in Stephen. Stephen trusted the Lord with all of his heart. And lean not, it says, on your own understanding. The moment we try to lean upon our own understanding, we're, you know, you lean on something that's not very stable, you're going to fall over. You lean upon the Lord, you're not going to fall at all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He shall direct your paths. Never once do we see the apostles take credit for anything that God does. Never once do we see these seven men take credit for anything that God does. Never should man take any credit for it. Why? Because it's God's work through His chosen vessels. And being full of power signified that Stephen was also empowered to witness Christ. He wasn't just serving tables. He wasn't just handing out help and gifts to people who needed it. He was out witnessing Christ. This is what it says, to be full of power. Dunamis, it's the same word in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. For you shall be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to do what? To go forth. Where? Into Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. As a witness. And so the same word here is used. Full of power. that signified that Stephen was empowered to witness Christ, as we shall certainly see later. But now this singling out of, of Stephen, both by Luke, as we see in, in the account in Acts, and the singling out by Stephen's enemies would lead to his opportunity for that very witness itself. And you'll notice in verse 9, as we go on in our text in Acts 6, it says, Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. By the way, the disputing with Stephen was not an uncommon thing, so that's not really what should capture our interest quite yet. But synagogue worship 
more than likely began when the Jews were in exile in Babylon since they were now away from their temple. And so they would gather for instruction from the law of Moses. After their return to the land, synagogue worship continued. So in Jerusalem at the time of the, uh, of, of the apostles and, and, uh, and, and the early church, there were certainly many groups, many synagogues uh, in and around the city of Jerusalem. And most of them were made up of, of, of various types of, let's say, uh, some came from a certain area, region, from outside of, of, of Israel or outside of Jerusalem, and they would meet because they had common interests, common things. And so we find here one of those. It was called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. These were uh, the Libertines, as it says in the King James Version. The, the Libertines were the descendants of Jews who had previously been in bondage, but had won or purchased their freedom from Rome. And so it was in their synagogue that Stephen may have come to debate the Scriptures with them, much as Jesus did and Paul would do later. By the way, uh, since Paul was from Tarsus in Cilicia, he may have also been involved in the dispute against Stephen. And, and uh, we, we believe that this would, was probably his synagogue as well. So that is, that is uh, an important thought here as we, as we press on. But the important thing to note is that they were unable to oppose or defend against the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen spoke. Nor could they match his wisdom or power. They, they couldn't match it, and they couldn't oppose it, and they couldn't defend against it. It was wisdom given to Stephen by God. This was something that the Lord Jesus would signify to His disciples in Luke 21, verse 15. For I will give you, He says, a mouth and wisdom. I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. So that was something that the Lord gave to His disciples. And that just continued on into the members of the early church. Stephen in particular. Given a mouth and given wisdom. And his adversaries were not able to contradict what he said. They were not able to resist what he said. I could just, I could just hear the questions right now to Stephen. Stephen, what are you, by the way? Uh, I just serve tables. I'm a waiter. Well, where did you get your, where did you get your, all your instruction? Where did you get all this, all this stuff that we can't uh, from God, from the Lord? From His Word, and prayer, Holy Spirit. They couldn't oppose Him. They couldn't resist Him. They couldn't contradict Him. You know that that is for us as well. If we will bow before God and with an open heart seek all that He has for us, we can glow in the dark in the midst of all of this confusion that we live in and stand for what is true and stand for what is right because God says, I'll give you a mouth and I'll give you wisdom. I would take him up on it if you're having problems with fear or worry. You want to tell somebody about Jesus and trust the Lord. 
Trust him. Stephen glowed because he trusted the Lord. And so Stephen now, and, and this, is, this is the key, the Stephen was not depending on his own wisdom. Stephen was not depending on his own wisdom, but on the anointing and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Unable to defeat Stephen in debate, their only alternative was to destroy him. Their only alternative was to get rid of him. It's sad that we still see that anger in these people who time and again have seen what God has done in their midst, but they remain veiled. You see, you see the importance of what we read about the veiling of the law. They were veiled and they were blinded. And in verse 11 of our text it says, And they secretly induced men to say. They suborned men. They secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And notice, they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. Literally, it means that they came upon him suddenly. They surprised him while he's there in the synagogue. They pounced on him and they arrested him. And they brought him to the council and they also set up, a, they also set up false witnesses. Does this sound familiar to, to you? Have we run across this kind of activity before? They set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. It's interesting that their treatment of Stephen parallels the way that the religious leaders of the Jews treated Jesus. How similar. The first thing they did was hire false witnesses to testify against Stephen. They did the same with Jesus. Then they stirred up the people who accused him of of attacking the law of Moses and the temple. They did the same with Jesus. They incited a mob when Jesus was standing before Pilate. When you think about it, it was Calvary all over again. The nation that had officially rejected the Son of God was was now going to officially reject the Spirit of God with the same trumped-up charges, the same false witnesses, the same use of the mob, and eventually the same lawless murder of a victim. Stephen was arrested and the charge they would bring against him was one the Sanhedrin knew it could exploit to the fullest. I can assure you, And of course that charge was blasphemy. And I can assure you that Stephen never said one blasphemous word against either Moses or God. Stephen Stephen never said one blasphemous thing against Moses or God. How do we know this? Just look at the writings of the apostles. Just look at the writings of the apostles and 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 the gospel writers. And all we see is love, reverence, and respect for God's law and God's people and especially God's prophets, Moses being one. Never would there ever be any blasphemous word spoken against God's servants 
or God Himself. But false witnesses stirred up the trouble in the people. What they were doing, in effect, was twisting and, and misinterpreting the teachings of Jesus, which, which Stephen probably had repeated. I'm, I'm saying that he repeated the teachings of Jesus just as he had been taught. But just as they twisted the things that Jesus said, they twisted the things that Stephen had said. And brought misinterpretation to the hearing of the people. Don't forget that Jesus was also accused of blasphemy. Jesus was accused of blasphemy. By the way, Jesus never said that he would destroy the temple. He warned them that it would be destroyed if they rejected him. And of course we know what happened in 70 AD at the hands of the Romans. What Jesus did say was in speaking of himself. When he said this temple be destroyed. But in three days, I'll rise again. That was misinterpreted. And as jealous as the Jews were over the law, they couldn't understand how Jesus Christ had come to fulfill the law and bring in the new covenant as described in the prophets. They were blind. They they had the veil over their eyes. They could not see that here was Messiah who had fulfilled all of the Old Testament uh, uh, prophecies concerning the Messiah coming as He did in, in, in Bethlehem. Coming as He did through a virgin. Never seeing this. Only seeing what they wanted to see. And yet the word was true, the word was clear, Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, saith the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Or you take the words of Ezekiel, or the, the, the words given to Ezekiel the prophet in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart, God says. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. All of these things could have been seen in Jesus as He came and He preached the kingdom of God, as He preached repentance in the kingdom of God. All these things could have been seen in Jesus when His hands were touching people and healing the sick, cleansing lepers, raising the dead. And so all they could do was throw accusations, false accusations, that there was blasphemy being spoken against the temple and the law. And so the enemy came upon Stephen Stephen suddenly and they took him before the council, the Sanhedrin, the same council that had tried Jesus and the apostles. You notice 
But twice they mention Moses. You'll notice that they said that he spoke blasphemous words against Moses. And in verse 14, that they had heard him say that Jesus would destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. It reminds us of Moses as the one who brought the law to God's people from God. With a glow that would eventually fade. Because you see, he represented, he was the type of of the law. John writes that in his first chapter of his Gospel. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And all who sat in the council, Acts 6 verse 15, all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him. Look, folks, they're looking at him with intense viewing, scrutinizing him. They're not just glancing at Stephen. They are looking at him intently. It says, all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Again, according to the customs and the terminology of the time, that said he had the same glow as Moses. And Stephen didn't even have to speak in order to give his testimony. They saw his testimony. They saw what he had. They saw what he had because they saw who he knew. The very glow on his face told them that he was a servant of God who was put in the very presence of God. His face reflected the perfect peace and confidence of the person who knows and who trusts his God. Should we glow as believers in Jesus Christ today? Should we also glow? Very much so. Why? Because we know and we trust God. Let me put it this way. We should know. And we should trust. There was no fear or terror on on Stephen's face because he knew his life was in God's hands and that his Lord Jesus would never leave or forsake his people. That is what he knew about his God. There was no fear. There was no terror. They had come upon him suddenly, but he went willfully. And he went and he stood... And that very face of the angel, that very glow in that darkness, the darkness not not being the the darkness of a room, but the darkness of the people around him. He glowed with the confidence of the presence of the Lord. 
That glow was a message from God. It was a message from God to the council telling them, this man is not against Moses. He is like Moses because he is my faithful servant as Moses was. There was another occurrence of Moses with a glow. A glow in the dark. That on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and Elijah. I read from Luke 9, verse 28 and following where it says, Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain, went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed... The appearance of his face was altered. This is Jesus. The appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, this is a very significant passage, and I chose to use the Luke passage here because of its very mention that Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory with Jesus, spoke with Jesus about his death, about his impending death, which he was going to accomplish very shortly in Jerusalem. And if anybody knew about death, it was Moses. For if you continue to carry through this this thought and this idea of his being that type of the law, we know that Moses did not enter into the promised land with the children of Israel, but were kept on the other side. And there he would die alone with God. In his life, he had a glow, but that glow faded because it was representative of the law. But in his death, he would live again with a glow that would never fade. The glow of the presence of Christ in his life. And they spoke of his decease, which was, he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What a conversation to have recorded in similar vein there was Stephen with Jesus the glow and as they looked intently upon him steadfastly on his face they saw the face of an angel there was Stephen with Jesus And Jesus in the midst of that darkness. I want to bring Paul back into the picture here for just a moment. Saul of Tarsus may have been there that day. We know that Saul will appear once again in chapter 7. It will be the first time that we see him in the book of Acts, but possibly he was here. And even if he wasn't there, word would certainly spread to Saul, because Saul had some some leadership role as, as Christians were being persecuted in that time. 
But if he happened to be there, if he happened to know what was going on, do you think that Stephen's glowing testimony, do you think that Stephen's glowing testimony would stay with Saul of Tarsus as a seed planted deep within his heart? We may never see the result of our testimony. This is why I want you to, 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 to hear this. If Saul happened to have been there, he would have been one to have heard the testimony given by Stephen, as we'll see next week, the, the full-on message that, that he preaches to the Sanhedrin council. But if this is the case, do you think that there would be a seed planted in Saul? Because, you see, we ourselves may never see the result of our own testimony, of our own glowing before the world. But that doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter because we need to focus on where we are now. Let us focus on the characteristics of faith, on power, on wisdom and the Spirit that we might leave an indelible portrait of Christ in us, in the hearts and the minds of those who see us and hear us. Stephen would never know the result that Saul of Tarsus would one day become Paul the Apostle. But it didn't matter. Because where he was at that moment in time, he was not alone. He had the very glow of the Spirit of God. He had the very glow of the presence of God. He had the very glow of the presence of Christ in his life. You know, you never think about that. Stephen may have planted a seed that would one day grow in the person of Paul who became the great apostle to the Gentiles. And thousands if not millions affected by his testimony. Stephen's glow in the dark. You see how important it is for us then to glow in the dark to glow with the light that has been given to us by God through Jesus Christ may I leave you with these words as we come to the table of communion now in Colossians chapter 1 by this Paul of Tarsus this Saul of Tarsus who is now Paul the Apostle in Colossians 1 verse 27 he says to them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles notice which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. You hear these words that we've heard are a part of the very character of the deacons, the very character of the table servers in particular, the very character of Stephen. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man complete or perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. Do you see where Paul is saying, it's not me, it's God working in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the glow of Christ's presence in our lives.